Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Journal Clinical Pathways podcast. My name is Zach Bissett, and I'm the associate editor of the journal, joined by my colleague Amanda Del Signore, the managing editor of the journal. Speaking with us today is Dr. Timothy Showalter, a radiation oncologist and researcher at the University of Virginia Cancer Center. Dr. Showalter and his colleagues recently published an article in the International Journal of Radiation Oncology titled, Evaluation of Delivery Costs for External Beam Radiation Therapy and Brachytherapy for Locally Advanced Cervical Cancer Using Time-Driven Activity-Based Costing. In this study, brachytherapy for advanced cervical cancer resulted in increased hospital spending, which could help explain why its use has been declining despite it being considered the gold standard treatment in this disease setting. Dr. Showalter has been kind enough to allow us to pick his brain a bit on this subject. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Showalter. Thanks for having me. Studies have shown that a decline in brachytherapy utilization is associated with a higher rate of mortality in cervical cancer. Can you briefly explain why brachytherapy is being used less and less for the treatment of this disease? Well, I think overall the declining trend in brachytherapy is um, really unfortunate for our health system. The uh, techniques in uh, brachytherapy and the importance of brachytherapy have been established for years. Um, There's been a lot uh, written about uh, this subject, as a lot of uh, physicians are concerned. Some of the potential explanations have included um, overall declining uh, uh, quality of, of uh, residency training uh, in brachytherapy or difficulty main- maintaining brachytherapy skills for physicians who are in practice because of uh, how comparatively rare uh, cervical cancer is compared to other cancers. Uh, and then also people have, have highlighted uh, that uh, reimbursement is comparatively low. So before our study, uh, that had been suggested. And the particular issue is that there are advanced external beam uh, radiation modalities that reimburse quite well, whereas brachytherapy um, has some financial pressures against it. Uh, and so so others have hypothesized that that might be the cause. I, I personally went into this uh, study thinking that uh, that would be one of the, the highest priority areas to look at because in my mind, as a academic radiation oncologist at uh, an academic medical center, uh, I, I really haven't, frankly, haven't seen that uh, a decline in uh, educational cases available to our residents for training. So I think we're graduating people who do know how to perform brachytherapy. Which healthcare providers and hospital systems face the biggest barriers to compliance with brachytherapy? Radiation therapy is available in a variety of different uh, centers. Uh, I, I practice at a large academic medical center, and so we, of course, have uh, not only facilities for um, external beam radiation therapy, but also uh, a fair amount of uh, square footage and resources dedicated to brachytherapy. I practice in a group practice, so there are a number of us around who can be available to monitor external beam treatment delivery. So when I'm performing brachytherapy, I'm able to dedicate time to that without uh, disturbing the external beam radiation practice. Other providers who are at small centers, uh, single uh, room freestanding facilities where uh, one or a small number of uh, radiation oncologists are available are really in a challenging situation for brachytherapy. Um, For some uh, 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 radiation centers, if there's a single radiation oncologist, uh, in order for that radiation oncologist to deliver brachytherapy, they may actually have to interrupt external beam radiation treatment uh, for it to be delivered because it typically would occur in a separate location. From both a clinical and policy perspective, 
What are the barriers to Medicare reimbursing brachytherapy-related costs at a similar or higher rate than external beam radiation? Well, I think this is a a fairly niche uh, area. You know, for cervical cancer is um, really the only clear uh, and, and strongly compelling example where brachytherapy absolutely has to be included in the treatment option. Uh, for other right. situations where we use brachytherapy, it's typically one of the uh, treatment options. Um, so I think from a policy perspective, uh, there aren't many examples of Medicare drilling down and specifically valuing uh, brach, you know, any, any sort of medical intervention for a specific diagnosis like this. So I, I think uh, that would be a challenge. Of course, um, the... Uh, you know, a blanket uh, changes in brachytherapy or external beam radiation would probably solve uh, some of these issues, but uh, there may be off, uh, you know, sort of nonspecific effects. So I think what makes this really challenging is that cervical cancer is relatively rare, and this is a clinical situation that is, you know, really only this compelling for cervical cancer. So it's, it, it can be challenging to deal with it from a um, policy perspective. Also, I worry about, you know, external beam radiation therapy is available um, more widely than brachytherapy because freestanding uh, areas that serve underserved regions will, are more likely to have external beam than brachytherapy. And so you cer certainly wouldn't want to compromise the access to external beam radiation in those communities. So from a policy perspective, uh, you, you would want to be careful about policies that would discourage overall availability of radiation therapy. How can incentivizing quality care change the way payment policies consider optimal treatment strategies such as brachytherapy? Well, I, I think an emphasis on quality of care would, would really go a long way towards, uh, towards helping this, uh, this exact issue. Um, there are lots of different ways one could imagine of uh, even tasking providers with simply having a plan for that patient to, uh, from the outset to get access to brachytherapy. So if you're in a system that uh, that incentivizes uh, quality care, break, cervical cancer brachytherapy would be one of the uh, first, you know, quality indicators at the top of the list uh, for quality of care. So I think if there were strong reimbursement pressures on uh, making sure that patients get access to brachytherapy um, and to have a defined plan to make that happen. I think you'd see uh, behavioral changes uh, among providers, and you also may see, uh, you know, different arrangements among health systems to make sure that, uh, you know, patients are referred to, you know, high-quality centers for brachytherapy. Are there any other important points or parting messages you would like to make for our listeners? You know, I, I just think uh, one of the main uh, messages that I that I glean from this is that this is a um, reimbursement issue that happens to uh, really in in a healthcare system issue that happens to, to uh, affect this small uh, patient population. Um, for me, as as someone at a large hospital, you know, life is relatively easy. These these pressures don't don't um, create a challenge for me to provide care to other patients, but I think it's a really good example where uh, the realities of, uh, you know, ha having to uh, to fund the overall mission of, of a health system uh, can uh, meet with uh, quality issues for, for patient care, and I just think it's really unfortunate that for, particularly for 
my colleagues in radiation oncology who practice in very small centers, that it just really may not, frankly, be feasible uh, in the current system for them to offer brachytherapy um, due to limited availability of physician coverage in that area and uh, limited overall practice resources to start new programs to serve a relatively small segment of the population. All right. Thank you, Dr. Showalter, for taking the time to speak with us today. We look forward to speaking with you again in the near future.